0: Hello, and welcome to the Sons of Sequoia podcast, episode 24, is that right?
1: Uh, that's right, episode that 24, here we go, Sons of Sequoia. It's Tuesday,
0: so you know what that means.
1: Yeah, movie Tuesday. It's movie Tuesday, should I play that theme song? Yeah, play it, I want to hear it.
0: Ah, uh, you won't be able to hear it, because I'll have to share my screen, but... yeah, play
1: it. All right, what did we watch this week? Oh, uh, I I watched it, and I thought, oh, man, do I have... To, I want to talk about it right now. It was such an, a compelling movie. It was One Night in Miami. And One it, night. Was, it was One Night in Miami. And it was uh, released this, uh, uh, this year, or last year. Uh, I, I don't know. Some sources say...
0: Uh, 2020, but uh-huh. it's an Amazon original. If we look at my thumbnail here and it says January 15th that it came out, that would be 2021. So maybe it was yeah. made last year, but it was re- released. It was released this year and it's a perfect one to watch for Black History Month because there's a lot of elements of Black History woven into a very short, um, uh, Pretty powerful movie, all things
1: considered. It was it was a yeah, it was very well done. Director was Regina King. Mm-hmm. I thought she did a fantastic job. Uh and all and we were we were remarking all the actors were casted extremely well. Uh the writing was great. The story was great. It was very compelling. And it's perfect for Black History Month because it was uh, issues of discrimination, but it was from the perspective uh, from from what I could understand. I'm not black, but it's from a black perspective. It was it was from their perspective and uh, it was good. I thought it was great. hmm. Should we watch the trailer? Yeah, let's start with a trailer. Good idea, David.
0: And then I have an article I want to pull up maybe for later. From the Smithsonian Magazine, it's obnoxious, the amount of ads that are on it, but it's a very good article.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and maybe that's <there's>
0: why. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, should we watch the long-form trailer, 2 minutes 33? That seems right, doesn't it? Yeah. So I'm going to share screen here. Um. All right. Let's do it.
1: Ready for tonight?
0: I'm as ready as a person can be. After the fight, we're all coming back here for the champs of victory Paul. Damn. Don't be late. Minister Malcolm
1: X. Good news, the chariot is coming.
0: You know I'm the greatest. That's right. Jim Brown takes the ball. Your
1: record is gonna stand the test of time. How's everybody feeling tonight?
0: All together, yeah! <laughs> New Heavyweight Champion of the World. Say, champ, you don't suppose you could sign an autograph? Yeah, of course, man. Give him an autograph, Jim. Actually, Mr. Cook. <laughs> oh, sure thing, brother. Don't you think it's about time to party? Tonight, it's, it's a chance for us to reflect. You mean, no one else is coming? Well, this is all to a hopping
1: (laughs) start. You all are a bright and shining future. You need to understand what is at stake here. Everything's
0: not so black and white like you make it out to be. But we are fighting for our lives. You know I know what's going on out there, right?
1: Listen, listen. Brothers and sisters, listen, listen, listen. Miami! The child! where swear we'll never find a way to where we're going all alone. The goal is for us to really be free.
0: Yeah, the bells ring up.
1: We want the world. Speak now. But we're safe to be ourselves. Speak oh, now. I told, I told them. Think like we won't speak now.
0: Without having to answer to anybody forward.
1: Now, we have to be there for each other.
0: Who's the greatest? You
1: know. the your your brothers could move mountains without lifting a finger. you go yeah yeah they had a lot of scenes in there and one of the best scenes i thought there was was in the car yeah what, what can you say about that movie there's so much to be said mm-hmm. uh, it, was such, it was they did such, such a great job and all four of those actors were great were really great they were and their writing was great and
0: i'll pull up the smithsonian article you know i said it. that seemed like a play and i was right it was
1: a play <laughs> Oh, it was? Yeah.
0: Oh. Um, and, of course, we could take a look here. You know, this this scene, after they're sort of, they end up in this, like, bar or cafe or whatever, and he takes a picture, that's real. Uh,
1: Show it again. What do you mean it was real?
0: There's the picture.
1: Ah. Um, oh, so- that's...
0: That's really Muhammad Ali. That's really Muhammad Ali. That's really Malcolm X.
1: Oh wow! Uh, My dad loved Sequoia, mm-hmm. Sons of Sequoia. He loved. He loved Muhammad Ali. Because you, Muhammad Muhammad Ali was very brash, and I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. I'm pretty. I'm greatest. My dad loved that, because he says it, and he backs it up. Mm-hmm. Somebody <laughs> says. You can say that if you can back it up, and he backs it up. <laughs> my dad loved him because my dad loved fights, mm-hmm. and uh, he'd watch. He'd watch every Friday night fights and Gillette Blue Blades. da Da-da-da, da da But uh, Muhammad Ali was was really was great in the ring, was great out outside the ring. He was one of a kind. He was great. Well, this article sort of it, it pulled
0: together some stuff I was talking about about how, you know. These four men, um, they're inspirational figures to the black community. But Muhammad Ali, he stood up for what he thought was right. And through the rose-colored glasses of time, he's sort of like an American icon and hero. But this article points out uh, when he won the championship against Liston and then announced that he was converting to the Nation of Islam, He alienated himself from white people because the nation of Islam was scary to white people. But he also alienated himself from black people because black people are predominantly Christian. And they were scared of the nation of Islam, too. So he did it because he thought it was right. And that's a lesson Muhammad Ali could teach everyone, maybe. Do what you think is right. Um, When he refused to go to the war uh at the time he was hated for that but it was a matter of conscience for him i think and uh
1: i don't know so well, like in the like in the car david like in the car what he said i think sums up what you're saying he says we need a world where we can be free to be ourselves you don't have to agree with him but you have to stand up for someone who would just this is who i am i'm going to be who i am mm-hmm. and uh So does the article say this was a play? Yeah, the article says it's a play. Um, But the article
0: also says that this happened. Uh, Well, at least Jim Brown and Muhammad Ali were there. So the article says um, he'd planned a huge uh, post-fight party, but Clay had another idea in mind. Uh, No, Jim. There's this little black hotel. Let's go over there, and I want to talk to you. Now, so we know that Jim Brown and uh, Malcolm X were at the hotel. I mean, Jim Brown and Muhammad Ali were at the hotel. Uh, It it seems as if, also, in reality, Malcolm X and Sam Cooke were there, too, according to this article. So the four of them were together at a small hotel the night that, Muhammad Ali beat Sonny Liston. So that's real. Now, Kemp Powers uh, wrote this play, and I think he had an interesting thing to say. Um, uh, he, he heard about the fact that this happened, and he knew that Clay, Malcolm X, Cook, and Brown were really friends, and they did spend that night together. So he tried to find information, and there was very little information, so he dramatized most of what happened. Um, but the fact that four 60s icons were gathering in the same room at such a pivotal point in history was like discovering that there was a Black Avengers. That's what he said, the deadline. And it's kind of true. Those four guys, are, they're like superheroes. Uh, so, I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter whether or not this actually happened, even though it did. That They were together. We don't know that they had all these conversations because the the power of the movie rests on The power of the conversations they have with each other. But it it doesn't really matter. I think that the conversations, it's so well written, and the story moves along so well, and it addresses so many issues that I think that the movie is going to be important, and people will look back at it for years to come and say, that's a good movie.
1: Well, Billy Crystal was uh, was a friend of Muhammad Ali, and I guess I hope I get the story right. I should have looked it up before we talk about it, but maybe you can look it up. But Billy Crystal told the story where Muhammad Ali said, "Let's go over here to this restaurant." I said, oh, I can't go there. They don't. They don't allow Jews. And so Muhammad Ali says, "If they don't let Jews go there, I'm not going." And so he refused to go. Billy Crystal. I think so. Uh, I again. I could have got the story wrong, but I re- I kind of remember that kind of, that story happening, and he 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 uh, a tribute to Muhammad Ali, uh, Billy Krishna was was talking about that into his in his speech one time. Hmm. That popped into my head. Now I probably shouldn't have said that because I can't back it up. I, I could be wrong. He gave uh, a,
0: he gave a eulogy at Muhammad Ali's funeral. Yeah. They were friends no, for forty two years. Yeah. But. It just seems weird that there would be a restaurant that a Jewish person wasn't. Like there was a Jim, like Jim Crow laws would apply to a Jewish person. I guess maybe it was like a posh country club
1: or something. I don't know. But he said something about, or maybe maybe they would allow them, but they kicked him out. Or there was something that Billy Crystal didn't want to go to that or, or couldn't go or didn't want to go. And he says, well, if you can't go, I'm not going. Mm-hmm. And so he, he refused to go. Uh, so I, I we probably should have looked that up, but I remember because they were friends. I mean, and also uh, who was the other uh, who was the other uh, announcer that was that that really liked Cassius, Cassius Clay, Howard and Cosell, the be- Howard Cosell, Howard Cosell really liked him. And I think Muhammad Ali liked Howard Cosell. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, and so I don't know, I, I think. I, uh, Muhammad Ali was uh, was bigger than life in the ring and outside the ring, mm-hmm. but he stood up for what he
0: believed in. And yet, in this movie, he, he takes a back seat. Uh, and the article points out too that at this time, Jim Brown and Sam Cooke were bigger or bigger stars than Muhammad Ali. Sam Cooke had a very successful singing career. Jim Brown had been in the uh, NFL since 1958 for six years, where he was the best player in the NFL. Uh, he'd just done a movie. So he was crossing over into entertainment. And Muhammad Ali was still this 22, 23-year-old kid that the, world, fight. that the world didn't really know yet. His legend had yet to be written. And when he refused to go to the war, you know, he lost three years of his prime, I think 67 to 70, uh, that he wasn't allowed to fight. And he did that on principle. He gave up his career for for
1: principle. Well, the most powerful scene, uh, uh, you can't say that. There are so many scenes that were so powerful. The writing was fantastic. And uh, uh, it addressed so many issues. But one of the opening scenes was Jim Brown with, uh, uh, with, was it Bo Bridges? Bo Bridges Uh, is
0: the actor. Yeah, I don't know that. The
1: actor, whoever. But that opening scene set the stage for the whole movie. And then it wasn't about blacks versus whites. It was blacks talking about black issues to blacks. And so it was really about uh, black issues, but it was from the perspective of black. Mm-hmm. And that opening scene was 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 great uh, with with, with uh, Jim Brown. Yeah, uh, that was that was very powerful. It's
0: interesting. The movie starts with four opening scenes for each of our characters, and yes. then Muhammad Ali wins the championship against Sonny listen, and they go back to a hotel. Now you now you're fifteen minutes into the movie. Basically, the rest of the movie takes place in one hotel room
1: more or less well they have scenes but essentially you're right it, it was in in one hotel room like a play i mean there were scenes in the car and the scenes in the house but but um, those were just just tangent mm-hmm. uh, most most of the play most of this movie and the play was in a in one room
0: so yeah the four vignettes are muhammad ali it opens on muhammad ali uh fighting in England and he's fighting some guy he calls him a tomato can which is a boxing term for an easy, easy opponent and he's clowning the guy he's not even looking at the guy he's looking out into the crowd and he gets rocked and then it cuts away we find out later that he won that fight but uh, maybe it was like he showed that he had arrogance and that he wasn't invulnerable or something I don't know what we're supposed to learn from that vignette then the Jim Brown <laughs> one really drives the racism home he goes back to his home in Georgia, and he meets this wealthy white guy with this huge house, and he sits on his porch and gives him lemonade. Um, and the guy says, you know, we're so proud of you. You're such a credit to this community. You tell your mother that we're all proud of you here.
1: And then his... and the, Jim Brand came by because he the, the guy asked him to come by. Mm-hmm. Please come by. I want to talk to you. Please come by. I want to talk to you. So he came over. Oh, come in here. Oh, you're the greatest, you know, and go ahead.
0: And then, uh, of course, the daughter or granddaughter comes out and says, we need help moving this furniture. And Jim Brown says, I'd be happy to help. And Bo Bridges says, well, you know that we don't allow uh, black people in this house. So you're, well, you have a good day. But he didn't say black people he used a racial slur to really drive home the fact that he was a racist. Um, and it was so matter of fact that it was just like, yeah, I'm a racist. You know it. I know it. I'm going to say it, you know
1: but the scene was so well done that when he called on a racial slur and says we don't know, or we don't allow black people in our house you know you know that mm-hmm. it was kind of like it was a shock to jim brown like like what are you talking about you know mm-hmm. and so it was a it was the white's perspective that they were friends but the black said that's not friendship <laughs> it, was, it was such as to me it was a powerful scene like yeah you can hear what people say but hey yeah but also it what was do they, what do they mean i mean it was a,
0: a kind of like a cartoonishly vile depiction of racism but also it was, it was pretty good it's just what i liked about it was not it was pretty good um He was the pride of a community. He made everyone there proud. And uh, tell your mama that, you know, you're doing great and we all love you here and you're making us proud. But you can't come into my house. And the only reason why is because you're black. Like, that's just flat out racism. So despite all of your accomplishments, you're still less than because of your skin color. That's basically what, what was demonstrated in that scene. And they did it in an economy of words. You know, it was just Bo Bridges buttering up Jim Brown for two or three minutes, you know, praising him, giving him accolades, telling him how proud they were. And then immediately, you know, flipping a switch and saying, you're not allowed in my house for the, only, for the sole reason that you're black.
1: Yeah, you're black. We don't have blacks in our house. Yeah. You're black. You can't come to my house. And, and he said, and he says, listen, I, I want you to know something. I said, if there's anything you want, you can come to me. He said that. Mm -hmm. I go, oh, that's really nice. We're friends. We're friends. No, we're not. Mm -hmm. I'm white. You're black. It just, it was so powerful. It was well done. And then Sam Cooke's opening scene,
0: he's trying to sing at the Copacabana and he's bombing. And, you know, the white crowd is, the Copacabana is a fancy white club. Saying, oh, it's so much better when this white person sings it and they all start leaving when he starts singing. And he wanted, you know, one of his goals in his career is to kill at the Copa and he wasn't doing it, and it shows that, despite being a chart-topping musician, despite making a quarter million dollars singing, that's what he tells his manager when he yells at him. Uh, he'll go into a room that's all rich white people, and he still has a hard time connecting with them, despite all of his talent. And it's clear that that's a goal of his. He does want to br- cross over. He doesn't want to be on the R&B charts, the black music charts. He wants to be on the regular charts. And so, you know, bringing his art and his skill to the white audience is a priority for him. And that's established in the first scene. And then with Malcolm X in the first scene, it's established that Elijah Muhammad, the prophet of the Nation of Islam, he's alive and he's living in Chicago and He's fathering all sorts of illegitimate children and keeping all sorts of mistresses tucked away in flea bag apartments throughout the city. And Malcolm X doesn't think that's in concordance with the teachings of their religion. And the problem is his whole life is based around his allegiance to the church. And so it's his struggle with his own organization. You know, this organization that preaches piety and temperance, but he's not seeing that from his direct leader. And he's thinking that he may have to make a change. And I think that he thinks if he can get Muhammad Ali to bring Muhammad Ali into the fold, he can affect that change. That's sort of the catalyst that we see explained in the movie.
1: And also the opening scene was he was dealing with these issues, which were, Big issues for him and his life and his and his, his whole uh, uh, belief. And he was late coming home. Again, with the economy of words, he walks in and his wife is sitting there anxious and then just relieved when he walks through the door and says, Oh, I'm so glad you're home. I was worried about you. And in economy of words, it's like you realize that a black man uh out at night in Georgia is is dangerous it's dangerous yeah and, well uh, that that came through to me
0: yeah I mean I think that's interesting because you could take that like any black man would be in danger out after dark but I think that part of that was you're a civil rights leader that's despised by the FBI <laughs> by all of white America and because you're going against the prophet by the one organization that's been supporting you this whole time. So basically, 100% of America would like to see you dead. So it's not just because he's black that she's concerned. It's because he's a civil rights leader that has forged a path that has made him many enemies.
1: And during the during the movie, his house did get torched. Mm-hmm. And at the very end of the movie, uh, although it, they didn't show that, that they, they did say that he was murdered just shortly after that. Yeah, within a year uh, of the movie, Sam Cooke
0: and Malcolm X were dead. Yeah. So it's it's fascinating because, I mean, the, the tension between Malcolm X and Sam Cooke in the movie, I think is the main thrust of the movie's narrative arc. Uh, I think it explores the most pressing issues. Muhammad Ali, he's young, he's brash, and it's sort of like, that's sort of like a coming-of-age story. He's finding himself, he's deciding to follow Malcolm X into the Nation of Islam. Jim Brown, he's also transitioning from a football player to going into movies where he doesn't have to beat up his body. And those are interesting things. And we know by virtue of the fact that those two lived on for decades afterwards. You know, uh, Muhammad Ali lit the torch at the 96 Olympics. Uh, I think it was symbolic that someone in the Jim Crow South, where I'm sure that in Atlanta, Muhammad Ali was reviled in the mid-60s, he comes back as a hero to light the torch because he stood up for what he believed in. Because he was an Olympic medalist as well uh, in 62, 1960. 1960. So Jim Brown and uh, Muhammad Ali, they, they lived on for decades. But Sam Cooke and Malcolm X were dead within a year. And what we see with their conversation, I think, is the thrust of the movie. Malcolm X is this militant civil rights activist. He feels that the struggle needs to be militarized. The struggle needs to be radicalized. And that should be the sole focus. And he comes down hard on Sam Cooke for singing these love songs for white people. And then Sam Cooke comes back and says, "These love songs make hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. I have my own record company. I own my own masters. I pay songwriters and producers and musicians, and they're all under my employ because of the enterprise that I've created." Uh, and I think that Malcolm X wants him to use his musical talents to write songs about the civil rights movement, or you know, advancing the black causes politically. And yet, Jim Brown's protest. Said, yeah, or protest. Or... And Jim Brown says, you know, economic freedom, that's what he's providing. He is providing a form of freedom. And I don't think that protest records would sell as well as you send me. And Sam Cooke knew this. And so there is this argument, and I think it happens a lot, where if you're not using your voice to do specifically what the militant sect wants you to do with it, you're misusing it, but that's not necessarily true.
1: I, I was struck with they all four had the same, were in the same situation where there was discrimination. And they all four were moving in the same direction and they had the same goals of being themselves and f- being free to be who they are but they all had different ways of doing it. And, and then they, uh, Malcolm X and Sam cook was obvious, but then also, uh, Muhammad Ali was young and he says, uh, he had his own way of doing it too for the rest of his life, actually. And, uh, a great life. And uh, Jim Brown, Jim Brown looked at it a whole different way. So there are four different perspectives, uh, of looking at this issue that loomed larger than life, that they all four knew, they all four were experiencing it. And you saw that in this movie from a black perspective, a black perspective of four different ways of going into the same, same direction to getting the same goal, uh, but going about it four different ways. And uh, trying to understand why the other person was not doing it the way they did it. And why are you doing it the way you're doing it? why don't you do it this way? Cause I'm doing it this way. And it was, it was very revealing of the, of how uh, all four uh, were passionate about what they were doing. Uh, but they disagreed with each other's uh, way of doing it. Mm-hmm. And uh, like Jim Brown, uh, he was older and he saw things very differently and then Muhammad Ali was was young in his twenties, and he saw from that perspective things very differently. And then Sam Cooke had a had an economic perspective, and Ma- Malcolm X had a militant perspective. And so the four, uh, I guess, four vertices uh, was a great, great writing by uh, say who who wrote this thing, Kemp Powers. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. The screenplay, but anyway. It was super. It was it was very well done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was I wasn't sure what it was going to be like, uh, but it's not it's not just a run-of-the-mill movie. It, it's a one of the best movies uh, about this issue I've seen in a long time.
0: Yeah, uh, I think there's a. It's fascinating too. You say, oh, you have this great voice. You should be using it to sing protest songs and. There's an argument to be made. I think we talked about this yesterday when we were discussing beforehand. There's a clip from Ken Burns' Jazz talking about Louis Armstrong. And the historian says, you know, you have Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, but I would argue that Louis Armstrong did as much for the civil rights movement as those two, not by virtue of advocating for any specific political policies or protesting any harsh, unjust behavior, But by in the 30s, in the 40s, in the 50s, he was always there. He was always there blowing on his horn, singing his songs. And he was a black guy on stage with all the white guys. And the reason he was there is because he was exceptional. And it's difficult. I mean, yes, I think that you do need to have difficult conversations and say, we need to change these specific policies. We need to change these behaviors. But a good starting point is showing... You think you're better than me. But I'm Louis Armstrong and I'm the best at something. And there's not you can't put a white guy on the stage that's going to play trumpet as well as I am. And so, what's the deal why why do you think you're better than me? Like I'm in the best in the world at something that speaks volumes even though it might not be the best in the world at protesting unjust laws or you know devising schemes to to eliminate uh, discrimination throughout the land by simply doing what you do better than anyone else in the world uh, is a good way to to make a showing for yourself and for, for your people.
1: And he was, and, uh, and Louis Armstrong was, uh, he was there in the camera doing music for decades. Mm-hmm. And he was at the table. He was in the room. And he was, uh, uh, he had an impact of his presence, was just an impact because he was there. And uh, the, uh, talking about in the room when it happened, talking about uh, Hamilton, I think uh, you know, Leslie Odom was uh, was in Hamilton, right? You, you're telling me. Yeah, this the, the guy
0: that played Sam Cooke,
1: this guy, he was uh, yeah. Aaron Burr. And Hamilton, he did a great job, too. He was so, they all were great. They're all great. He's the only one that's nominated for an acting Golden Globe.
0: (laughs) Now, I do think he did a great job. I also think the guy that played Malcolm X did it. All four, the ensemble was fantastic. Um, And I think that, let me see if I can find a picture of the cast from this article, maybe. Um I don't know I think the person that got to play Muhammad Ali and the person that got to play Malcolm X look a whole lot like Ma- Malcolm X
1: and Muhammad Ali. <laughs> and and the the person who played Muhammad Ali, let's see who was he? Uh I don't know. But anyway, he even talked like him, <laughs> Muhammad Ali. Uh, he even had the the vocal expressions like it's like you're listening to to Muhammad Ali and it was it was super good. It was great. But um, there there are other scenes in the movie too that I thought were were very very powerful. Uh, the scene in the car when they were uh, to, at, when they at the wanted, liquor store. Yeah, at the liquor store. Uh, there were the, the scene in the car where they were arguing about what they wanted, and he says, "We just want to be free." But we want to be free to be ourselves uh, and be who we are. Uh, I, I Again, I probably I'm misquoting it. But to me, that was that was powerful. That that really summed it up. Uh, and so many times the the play or this movie summed up things from different perspectives. That was Muhammad, Muhammad Ali's perspective. And then Jim Brown, he had his perspective, too. You know, and uh, basically it was the same thing. Uh, and he he was trying to tell uh, Malcolm X, we're doing this, and also Sam Cooke, but we're doing it our way. Uh, He didn't use those words, but that's basically what Jim Brown, at least that's what I saw Jim Brown. They all were experiencing the same things. So they all knew what the struggle was, but they all were were not going to do it the same way. They're Mm -hmm. all going to do it different ways. And I think the key is recognize that, and and support each other and they did another great scene was when muhammad ali of course this may be spoilers for people to see it but it's not a spoiler you need to watch it you need to watch this movie to see how this stuff plays out but muhammad ali finds out in the room in the hotel room that malcolm x is leaving uh the group leaving the 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 uh the group because of you know what you mentioned before, David, mm-hmm. and well, Muhammad Ali was going to go with him, but I mean was going to uh, uh, declare uh, joining uh, Islam. Then all of a sudden, he heard that Malcolm X was leaving, and he was ready to fight him, and uh, and he was he was angry because wait a minute, you pulled me into this and now you're leaving. What are you talking? And so. Of course, Muhammad Ali in his in his classic way and his personality, he's ready to fight him. Come on! And um, but then during that scene, someone says, "There's some reporters out here. They want to talk to Muhammad Ali because he just won the fight." And so he went outside and he stopped. He turned around. he's to Malcolm X he said, "Come on, you're coming with me." He says, "You ever to come with me?" He says, "Yeah." So he disagreed with him. Uh, but he believed in him and he was still going to do what he was going to do. <laughs> and he walked outside. And he announced that he says, I'm no longer Cassius Clay. Um, Cassius X and he was Cassius X first and then later when he was uh, I don't know what they call it in uh, Islam. He was ordained or whatever into the uh, into the religion. They they changed his name to, to Muhammad Ali and uh, that's when it became Muhammad Ali, but but he, he stayed true to his word. Because... And uh, the way it plays out is kind
0: of sad. And this article touches on it. Do you want, Can I read it? Yeah. This is the historical. So mm-hmm. uh, Malcolm X was critical in recruiting Muhammad Ali into the Nation of Islam. But as Clay grew closer to the Nation of Islam's leader, Elijah Muhammad, in the months following the fight... His friendship with Malcolm faltered. The last time the pair saw each other was in May, when Malcolm attempted to greet his former friend, by then known as Muhammad Ali, during a visit to Ghana. He wants to engage with him, Say hello, Smith, co-author of Blood Brothers, told NPR in 2016. He doesn't know Ali is mad at him, that they're no longer friends. He's got this half-smile on his face, and Ali, just stone face says, Brother Malcolm, you shouldn't have crossed the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, and essentially walks away from him. Ali, who in 1975 rejected the nation in favor of Sunni Islam, the same denomination Malcolm embraced following his departure from the movement, wrote in his 2004 autobiography that turning my back on Malcolm was one of the mistakes that I regret
1: most in my life. He never reconciled with his former mentor. But he,
0: um, and that was just a year. I mean, think about, I don't know, I think about my friends that I see I may not see him for a year and you know, he was dead. He was hanging out with him the night that he won the championship within a year. Malcolm X was dead. And yeah, I guess it's like, if you're going to make amends, do it as soon as possible because people could die at any minute.
1: Cause anything can happen in your life. Don't, don't wait. Mm -hmm. You know, take, take it, Seize the moment, take advantage of the time you have because time doesn't repeat. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that, that was, that was sad, but also was poignant. But then, um, but I always think what I thought of was that Malcolm X was militant and he died. And by the way, he died. He didn't just die. He got murdered. Mm -hmm. He was, he was murdered. Um, but then Muhammad Ali was who he was and he stood up for what he was, but he didn't do it in a militant way. And he, he lived much longer. And uh, and uh, but, Sam Cooke died, but Sam... But, so, so Ma, but Martin Luther
0: King Jr. was non-militant. He was non-violent. He practiced turning the other cheek. He practiced non-violent protests and he died too. So, I mean, I don't think you can attribute Malcolm X's assassination to his methodology because someone with an almost diametrically opposed methodology also got assassinated.
1: Mm-hmm. That's true. Uh, logically, you can't do that. But emotionally, I can't help but connect the two. And it may, it may be wrong, uh, but I guess if you're going to be militant, you have to understand. In my mind... Uh, Again, this is my perspective. If you're going to be militant about it and you feel like you have to do that, then you should do that. But if you do that, be aware of possible repercussions of moving in that direction.
0: Yeah, um, I read an article. I can't
1: help but think that. I
0: read an article. It was in Forbes or Fortune. It was one of those financial magazines where the reporter... Uh, was able to talk to this billionaire throughout the COVID-19 lockdowns. And the billionaire was giving his perspective. He wanted everyone to be in the office. He thought that everyone was overreacting. And then, of course, a few months in, he's like, I love Zoom. You know, I can have uh, 20 of my employees in a room in the next 30 minutes, even if they're scattered across the country. Like, we should have been doing Zoom a long time ago. But he did say, because the reporter asked him about the George Floyd protests, and uh, he's like, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of injustice in this world. And you can get out there and you can try to fight the power. But if you try to fight the power, you better win. Because the power will fight back. And it has a lot of power by definition. And it's like, it's a pretty good point. Uh, you can poke the bear. But the bear might take a swipe at you. Although it, yeah. I don't, I'm not even sure if it was the people that... Malcolm X was railing against that ended up killing him. It was his own, it could have been, it could have been, allegedly, it could have been his own group that he
1: helped build. That's true. It's true. Well, another thing I think of too, of course, we're getting away from the, the movie a little bit. Uh, actually, we're getting away from the movie quite a bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is that uh, the more visible you are on an issue, uh, the more you become a target. Because yeah. no matter what you do, there's going to be people that agree with you. There's going to be people who don't agree with you, and so the more powerful you are, and the more you move in one direction, uh, then the stronger that target is on your back mm-hmm. uh, by people who disagree with you. And uh, so, on the other hand, Muhammad Ali, this, the way he a uh, way he addressed the issue was not attacking the issue so much as saying, this is who I am and this is what I'm going to do. And so he addressed the issue by being who he was. Uh, he was not going to uh, follow those that path uh, that other was like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be myself. And so he addressed it in a different way. Yep. Let's... Instead of saying, you're, you're wrong, I'm saying, I'm
0: going to be who I am. Let's go back to the article. Unlike Floyd Patterson, the former heavyweight champion who'd promoted integration, he had no plans to move into a white neighborhood. We believe that force and token integration is but a temporary and not an everlasting solution. It is merely a pacifier. I don't have to be what you want me to be. I'm free to be who I want. That's what Muhammad Ali said, or Cassius Clay at the time.
1: Yeah. And he he did not change from that perspective for the rest of his life. Mm Mm-hmm he was who he was it's uh it's fascinating to me
0: like uh because you watch we talk about politics a little bit on this show and you watch someone like Lindsey Graham and he'll hold a viewpoint directly opposed to something that he said in the past he'll say things should be this way and then when the political wind shifts he says things should be the exact opposite way that i said that they should be 4 years ago and uh You take a look at someone like that and you say, that person has no conviction or no principle. Then you take a look at someone who stays the same for 30 or 40 years and they do it even to their detriment. You know, the winds of opportunity, the winds of fortune will not blow their way if they hold that viewpoint. They could compromise and then you realize the reason they hold it is because they believe it. that They believe what they say and they act in accordance with their beliefs. And that's inspiring.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, you could say that's America. That's what America should be. Uh, but we should fight for the freedom for people to be who they are mm-hmm. and uh, and who they are should not be taking away the freedom from someone else. And let them be. And that that's what these four guys did in the room. Uh, and that in that Miami, the, the four uh, characters not four, the four icons mm-hmm. uh, of of history, uh, they were who they were. Uh, and that Malcolm X fought like Sam Cooke. Why don't you be like me? And Sam Cooke, why don't you be like me? And and so Muhammad Ali just you guys, <laughs> I'm going to be who I am. Mm-hmm. And he never changed. And so I think I think one takeaway from the movie might be. Uh, recognize that there's different ways of accomplishing a goal Uh, and don't criticize someone's path that's different from yours if you're going in the same direction. Maybe that message uh, needs to be preached in Congress. Mm They are all want the same thing in this country, uh, but they're doing it different ways. And that doesn't mean one way is right, right. And the other way is wrong. It's just two different ways of doing it and both ways will get you the same point. And so you may disagree, but respect the, the purpose, uh, and the direction that, that those, that the goal that they're trying to trying to achieve, it's the same as yours. They're just doing it differently. Uh, the, the, also, the movie was extremely well done as far as the acting is concerned. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, the, the emotion, it, it's as if, it's as if they were the real people there. You were in that room. Mm-hmm. Uh, all four actors were just fantastic. Uh, they looked us uh, like, uh, and they acted like it and, and everything was, was good. And also like Cassius Clay, uh, he was Cassius Clay at the time. And it was as if from what little I saw when I was a kid, when I saw Cassius Clay, uh, when he was fighting, uh, that's how I remember him. I don't know if that's exactly how I was, but that's how I remember him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, as I say, my dad used to watch him Friday night fights, and hit uh, would fight fights all the time, and he'd see all the fighters back in the '50s and and uh, and the in the, the '60s, and um, and uh, Cassius Clay was brash. He was like, and I remember my dad saying, "Whoa, you know." Uh, this is a different kind of fighter. I mean, he he is so arrogant. But I like that because what he says, <laughs> he backs up. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many times I heard my dad say that. He says, you could you could be bold and you could be out there and you could be arrogant. You could be brash. But then back it up. Mm-hmm. And he did. <laughs> uh, he even
0: mentions gorgeous George. Remember? Mm hmm. And this is a fascinating thing. Gorgeous George uh, was a wrestler in the 40s and 50s. Let me pull up his Wikipedia page. He was the original heel, so heel is the bad guy. So in the 40s, uh, let's let's see when he started. Heel and what's what's the
1: good guy? Heel and the
0: the baby face. What's the... Uh, so the baby face is the good guy. The heel is the bad guy. Uh, drawing furious. Heel, heat, wherever he appeared. So at times were tough economically. And he would have, you know, like a red carpet laid out for him. He'd quaff himself. If things went bad, he would start cheating. He would blame others. He would accuse the election of being rigged. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Who does that sound like? But, but basically, um, he rose to popularity by making people hate him. And he did it by sort of stoking economic animosity. There was lots of, in the 50s and 40s, you know, lunch pail, go to work, earn your pay, carve out a living. And he was, he promoted this image of extravagance and excess and cheating to win. He was like one of the hedge fund managers, you know, and the people were like Wall Street bets, <laughs> uh, and and he played into that, and he made people hate him. But that's they would come and they'd pay money to watch him lose. And I think Muhammad Ali knew on some level, if you're brash, if you're cocky, if you're arrogant, uh, if you convert to the Nation of Islam, if you change your name to Muhammad Ali, people are going to pay money to watch you lose.
1: Mm-hmm. They're going to want that. And go back to go back to that. Gorgeous, the, George. Yeah, go back to that article, Where You Were. Okay. Down there at the bottom. Look at the paragraph beginning with Bob Dylan. Uh, wherever you were when you came off of it.
0: Muhammad Ali and yeah. James Brown acknowledge that their own approach to flamboyant self-promotion was influenced by George. A 19-year-old Ali met 46-year-old George at a Las Vegas radio station. During George's radio interview, the the wrestler's promo caught the attention of the future heavyweight champion. If George lost to classy Freddie Blassie, George exclaimed, I'll crawl across the ring and cut my hair off. But that's not going to happen because I'm the greatest wrestler in the world. (laughs) Ali, who later echoed that very promo when taunting opponent Sonny Liston recalled, I saw 15,000 people coming to see this man get beat and his talking did it. I said, this is a good idea. In the locker room (laughs) afterward, the seasoned wrestler gave the future legend some invaluable advice. A lot of people will pay to see someone shut your mouth. So keep on bragging, keep on sassing, and always be outrageous.
1: Now go down two more paragraphs where it starts Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan. I did not know this.
0: Bob Dylan said meeting George changed his life. In Dylan's book, The Chronicles, Volume 1, Dylan recounts a story of meeting gorgeous George in person. He wrote, he winked and seemed to mouth the phrase, you're making it come alive. I never forgot it. It was all the recognition and encouragement I would need for years. Wow. Bob Dylan was great, too. Mm -hmm. He was in that movie. Uh, Yeah, he was. Malcolm X plays Sam Cooke blowing in the wind. And he's saying a white guy from Minnesota, he's participating more with his music in opening people's minds. Then you are Sam Cooke, and Sam Cooke says, "I heard that song and I was upset because I wish that I'd written it."
1: It's and then Sam Cooke did write a write a protest song. Then yeah, he wrote "A Change Gonna Come." Yeah, yeah, and he sang it on Carson. Mm-hmm. That that was good, and and he did do that, as as we saw, he did do that. Uh. Wow. Well, you know I. Uh, what I like best about this to wrap this up what I like best about the movie uh, and I told you this David that it was looking at the issue of of racial discrimination from the perspective of a black talking to a black and I thought we had insight into uh, the, the issue and uh, and it was not like we're thinking about the issue. We were there with them, realizing how this this is this is so systemic, uh, and it's been lasting. It's been lasted for years. It's not something that has been thrust on us. It's something we grew up with, and it's something that's been all around us. And so, is it right to continue this way? This is. Uh, they're saying, no, it's not. But all four of them have different ways of dealing with it. Mm-hmm. And I think I think the message uh, was so so powerful that I I think I really I really did like the movie. And and there's a place for movies. There's a place for movies to bring these issues to the forefront and tell a story. And I think telling a story so vividly and so powerfully is is a legacy. I think I think storytelling uh, to bring home points, uh, uh, factual points and important points, uh, would be a great legacy. I know, I know the Cherokees, uh, this is maybe left field, but Hey, this is sons of Sequoia to bring it back to the Cherokees. Uh, their history was storytelling mm-hmm. and my dad was, was a great, great storyteller. And, uh, after my dad died, I was talking to one of my cousins on my mother's side. <laughs> uh, not my dad's side, my mother's side. And uh, I was talking to one of my cousins. And uh, she was in the hospital. And he's oh, hi, Mike, how you doing? I said, I'm doing fine. How are you doing? I'm doing okay, you know. And, and, uh, and she says, you know, before you leave, could you tell me that story your dad told me about, you know. And it was kind of like, storytelling is a legacy and this movie tells a story that i think uh is told so well that uh this movie uh will will uh uh, it's one of the best movies i've seen yeah with this is on this issue
0: yeah i think it is it's a great movie it's well written well directed uh well acted there's not a lot of fireworks it's mostly dialogue It's a dialogue-driven movie, but it will make you think and it will make you gain a new appreciation for issues just based upon the premise of the movie and how well it's executed. And so I can't recommend it enough. I'd say, you know, if you got an extra two hours, Amazon Prime Video, One Night in Miami.
1: Uh, Is there anything that you'd like to add? Well, from Sons of Sequoia, I'd say... Keep on talking, but listen more than you talk, and try to understand what the other person is means by what they're saying.
0: That sounds good. Signing off. Sons of Sequoia. We'll see you tomorrow. Okay. Bye.